You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. To Abraham a promise, a sky full of stars he sees. And the prophecy of the Lord has said, so shall your offspring be. To Isaac a sacrifice, not him to the knife, but a ram. And so will say the Lord to him, for you will sojourn in this land. To Jacob a blessing, but only after struggle. And he shall lead his people with a limb and is so renamed Israel. Hear, O Israel, you are to love the Lord your God. You live in struggle and groan in strife, but you pray to the God most high. Rejoice, O Israel, the Lord has seen, the Lord has heard. A deliverance is coming soon, the savior of the world. To Mary came an angel, he told her not to fear. For to the virgin a child is born, Emmanuel is here. Our hope is in this gift of love, this promised Prince of Peace. Rejoice today, for he's coming again. His reign will never cease. Today is called Gaudette Sunday. I think that's how you pronounce it. This is why I know this is pink candle, because I did Wikipedia this week. Um, and I didn't know what Gaudette meant, so I looked it up. And apparently it's Latin for rejoice ye. That's King James, but it's a command. It's to rejoice, have joy. Um, I think that's significant. You know, they say that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth, which is probably true unless you're sitting in line and everyone with fast passes is running by you. Um, Same should be true for the church, that the church of Jesus, which is the people, should be the most joyful. And I need to remind some of you that because you don't so much look at some of you, all right? If Disney's the happiest place, and I realize that happiness and joy are not the exact same thing. There's a little bit of uh, distinction, one's a subset. But the church, the people of God ought to be the most joyful. And, I, and as I was thinking about this week, I kind of Googled, you know, happiest place on earth or happiest country. So there's, a, there was, there's apparently a survey every year of the happiest countries on earth. And I was shocked to see that America is barely cracking the top 20. And I was even more shocked to see that the top five countries were all freezing cold countries. In fact, Iceland beat us badly. Iceland is a place that right now there's only like three hours of sun, right? I've always wanted to go there because I saw the life of, secret life of Walter Mitty, and so I thought that was cool, so I thought Iceland would be cool to visit in the summer. Um, but apparently being warm has nothing to do with being happy. I don't know what the criteria is, but it's not warmth because Finland and, the, and all the Scandinavian countries and Iceland beats us badly. In fact, there's even third world countries that beat America, which makes you think, what, what, is, what brings happiness? Ultimately, though, what brings joy? Because that's what we're called and commanded to be in the church. Um, and it, it should be, just like warmth has nothing to do with happiness, apparently, but what does have to do with joy is being a Christian. Those two things apparently, according to scripture, should go together. And so as you read the Christmas narratives, which we're gonna do a little bit today, all you see is joy. Eight times you see joy, rejoice, joy, full of joy, 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 joy. And the people in the narratives really have nothing to be happy about, (laughs) okay? Because happiness, just like in the word, depends on our happens, what's going on in life, happenstance. 
Joy is, is deeper and fuller um, than happiness. It lasts longer than excitement. It is more satisfying than pleasures and thrills and, and is richer and fuller and it is accessible and it can be ours. And so we're gonna look today of, of how, as we've been talking about Emmanuel, God with us. And we looked at how God with us brings hope. And last week, God with us brings peace. And today we're gonna talk about how God with us brings joy. Because I think joy is elusive for some of us. And so we wanna see how the folks in the, the Christmas story had joy and then how can we. And here's what's great about these stories. I don't know if you realize this, but there are things in life that want to rob you of your joy. You realize that? Walmart. <laughs> Duren. So all sorts of things, right? Politics right now. These things, are their, their goal is to rob you and steal you and oppose joy. But the very things that steal joy today in 2019 were the same things that were trying to steal the joy of the, of the folks in the first Christmas story. And we're gonna, as we walk through, we're gonna get to identify some of the common thieves of your joy and see how these folks fought them and won so that we can fight them and win. Because things haven't changed. Right? Maybe technology has changed, but, but the attacks on our joy have not changed. So we're gonna walk through and see. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you a working definition of joy. Okay, I wanna give you a working, I found one that I really like. And then we're gonna kinda just walk through and we're gonna walk through some of the narratives quickly and I'll highlight some of the opposing things of joy and then how do we fight it, right? How do we fight it, all right? Here's the definition uh, and I found, I found this week, and I really liked it. I felt like it encapsulated well. It's from Kay Warren, who's actually the wife of Rick Warren. She wrote a book, Choose Joy. Um, but here's, here's her definition, and I, I think it, it, it encapsulates the biblical idea of joy. It's joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It's a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And it's the determined choice to praise God in every circumstance. It's, it's more than a feeling although there can be a feeling, it is a state of delight and well-being that is ultimately rooted in Emmanuel and God with us, right? And it's the assurance that God is in control. It's, it's knowing that it's gonna be okay. It's, it's praising God anyway. And it's, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of walking with God. And we're gonna see the early, our early brothers and sisters had it, the major players in the Christmas story. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 1. We're going to start there. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look quickly first at, at really probably the biggest player in the Christmas story, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Luke 1 is her story. And again, we're going to move fast and quickly through these um, because I want to highlight some stuff. But in verse 26, here's where it starts. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is one of those country hick little towns, one red light, a red box, and a dollar general. Everybody knows everybody, everybody's family. Okay, small little town, right? And, and, he, and Gabriel shows up to a virgin who is named Mary. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, the house of David. And, and if you're unfamiliar with kind of how betrothal and marriage happen in, in, the, uh, in this, in this kind of culture, uh, you would be engaged for a year and technically you would be legally married even though you were not living together. It was the job of the husband to go get the house ready. He was to save money. He was to get his homestead ready to go pick up his bride. But legally they were married 
even though they weren't in covenant yet. And the only way to end the engagement was not to take the ring back, not to say, I think we've made a mistake. You had to legally get a divorce. You had to get a certificate of divorce to break the engagement even. And that's where they're at right now. They're sitting in that, they're, they're nine months to go, six months to go, however long to go, we don't know, but they're in that engagement period. Gabriel is sent and to this, this young lady, probably most scholars think 13, 14, 15 years old. Because in that day, that's when you got married, especially in a poor town like Nazareth. So think about, she is in seventh, eighth grade. That's Mary. If you have a seventh grader, you're like, whoa. Yeah, that's exactly right, whoa. All right, verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, Emmanuel, right? But she was greatly troubled at the saying, I love that because it's not, we have this view of Mary that she's like sitting there like this praying, expect, I've been waiting for you, Gabriel, where have you been? Like she's just like waiting for this. No, she's a 13, 14 year old girl doing what 13, 14 year old girls did in that day. She's working around the family house. She's doing her chores. She's getting ready to be married. And she is shocked. And he says, greetings, the Lord is with you. And she's troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor, literally grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, common name, Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He will be great, he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and, the kingdom, and there will be no end to his kingdom. You, that's a lot for an eighth grader to take in, a lot. But here, here's, here's what she says. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? This is not doubt, by the way. This is just a, a logical question. That doesn't make sense. That's not biologically possible. That's not physically. I, what are you saying? I don't get it. And so he gives a, a very theological explanation. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And that, again, that's great systematic theology. I don't know if that helps. When you're struggling to ask questions and someone says, let's look what Wayne Grudem and his theology says about this. Because what she's thinking is, what does this do to my life? I got questions, uh, right? Okay, I get that the Holy Spirit, the whole thing, even though in that, up to that point, there really was not a really good theology of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And we have, but okay, I get that. But my mom is not going to buy it. And my dad is going to kill Joseph. And Joseph is not gonna buy a Holy Spirit thing. And what does this do to my plans? What does this do to my life? How am I gonna eat? How am I gonna take care of a kid? She's, that's stress, confusion, anxiety. That's just why I think it's also interesting that seven times in the Christmas narratives, God says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, because everyone's afraid because it rocks their world. And here's, here's where we get the first destroyer, that which steals joy. It's st some of you this morning, it's, you're rocked by this, right? And it's real simple. It's just life. 
It's confusion, it's chaos, it's something happens you weren't expecting. Your transmission blew. You got a, a bill that you weren't expecting from the hospital. You thought it was done. Someone is sick. Someone is struggling with this. I, just life happens that wasn't planned. This was not where I wanted to be. Maybe your, your career has not gone where you thought. Maybe you're still not married. You haven't had kids. What? It's just life, and life sucks the joy out of you because you're out of control, right? And our typical response is what? Let's figure it out. Let's try to do it. Let's, let's worry. Let's have anxiety. Let's, let's stress. Let's be afraid. But you can't be joyful and fearful at the same time. All right? All right. So I'm sure she's fear, scared of being alone. Is Joseph going to leave me? She's scared of her parents. What is they going to think? What is Nazareth going to think? What's going to happen? How am I going to take care of it? All those things <laughs> wrapped up into a seventh and eighth grade girl. Who's gonna believe her? Which is probably why she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth who also has a miracle baby, right? Because immediately after this, she runs off to be with her cousin for several months. But here's what's amazing. Look at her response, verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She basically says, okay. God, you, all right. Whatever you say, I trust you. Which, I mean, this is my sanctified imagination, but I wonder what Gabriel thought about that. Because Gabriel, remember, had just come from an old priest, a pastor named Zechariah, and he told him his, his old wife was gonna have a baby. And he says, no way, Jose. And this is the godly priest. So I'm sure he's thinking, what's this teenage girl gonna think when I tell her? The godly priest who knows the Bible says, no way, Jose. The 13-year-old girl says, okay. And <laughs> Amazing. We don't give Mary enough props. We're not to worship her, but we should say, wow, this is an example to follow right here. She's a godly young girl, right? She's a godly young girl. And she says, okay, she makes a choice. I'm gonna trust God. I accept this plan. I'm gonna rest in him. I don't know what it's gonna what'll happen, but I'm gonna trust. And so you go a few verses down after she shows up at Elizabeth's and it's this great passage, we sing it, it's called The Magnificent. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I, I exalt God is what she's saying. My spirit rejoices. She is actually joyful about this. She's not like, oh, this is just what God has for my life. Woe is me, oh, God's plan for my life. It's all the cookies. No, she's like, praise God for this mess. That's, remember our definition? Right? Remember our definition? Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control. Does Mary believe that? She absolutely does. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything's gonna be all right. Does Mary have that? She does. Does she have the determined choice to praise God in that situation? She does. She's got joy. She doesn't know what it means for her life. She doesn't know how she's gonna feed a baby. She doesn't know where it's going. She doesn't know a lot. But here's what she does know. This baby will be the son of God that he is God with us. And if God is with us, even if I don't know where God is taking us, it must be okay, because God is good. And here's how you fight life, chaos, circumstances. It's, it's super simple and super Christian sounding, but it is the solution. And it's how we fight for joy, and it's how we have joy in chaos, is we trust, right? Joy is the settled assurance 
that God is in control. Do you believe that? Really, do you believe that? It is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is gonna be all right. This is what Advent is about. Jesus kept his word the first time, he will keep his word and everything else. Do you believe that? And are you willing to still worship and praise him in the middle of that? That's trust. And so you gotta ask, what, what is out there right now that is stealing your joy? What circumstance in life? Are you in your career and you feel like you're sitting in line at Disney, the happiest place on earth, and everyone else is a fast pass? They're getting raises. They're getting bonuses. They're thriving. Here I am. Is that, is that where you're at? Or maybe there's a, a health struggle there's just a, a depression struggle. There's a, is an anxiety struggle because of whatever. Maybe it's money. Maybe you don't know where I'm supposed to go to college. When I'm, how am I gonna get a job? Who am I gonna marry? Maybe you're worried about all that, right? Maybe there's just legitimate hardship. And, and we're not saying, just so you know, this is, we're not saying that you have to be happy about everything. Put a happy face on. I'm broke, we're not, talk, we're not talking about happiness. You can be, you cannot be happy with how things are going and still have joy, okay? That, so it's different. It may be a subset, but it may not be. You can still have joy. You can still have this settled assurance that God is in control of this, that everything will work out in the end. He is working all things for his, his good pleasure, and I can trust him in it. Right? And, and here's, and here's how, how you do it. Real simple. It's like Mary with open hands saying, God, I trust you. I don't like this per se. I don't know where this is going and it scares me a little bit, but I trust you. Would you, would you do that? I mean, not just, yeah, I believe that. No, would you actually physically do that this week if you're struggling? To tell God out loud. I mean, don't do it while you're at work. Just like, I trust you, God. So everyone's like, work. But go on a walk in your car, in your, wherever your quiet space is, that you would just tell them, this is hard, God, but I trust you. In the words of Spurgeon, he says, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. It's a good words. Tell him. See, that's, that's the only way that you can truly count it all joy when you encounter various trials because that's weird, let's be honest. But the only way is to say, God, I trust you. This is why Paul says we are broken, but yet we're joyful in 2 Corinthians 6. It's the only way. This is the only way Jesus goes to the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. Because here's what you need to know. Joy is a spiritual steroid, and you're not allowed to take them in real life, but you're encouraged in the spiritual world. This is a spiritual HGH. Joy makes you strong. You realize that? This, this is why Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my what? That was so weak, y'all are definitely not joyful. The joy of the Lord is my what? It's your strength. It's when you choose joy, it actually makes you strong, spiritually. It's, it's, it's a steroid. See, who, if, if, you, if, if you have this, 
belief, joy is a settled assurance that God is in control. If you really believe that, if you really believe he's in control, you really believe that in the end, everything is gonna be all right, who can stop that person? You can put Paul in prison and Silas in prison and put them in the basement and chain them up and they're singing. You can't stop that person. You can't steal that person's joy. See, that, that's, that's what we were called to be. Disney's the happiest place. Christians are the joyfulest place. Why? Because we know God is in control. We know that everything's gonna be all right and we can, in the middle of that, worship. That's Mary. And that's what God does. He brings joy, Emmanuel. Let's keep going. Let's look at her husband, another big player, Joseph. Here's what kind of seems to happen. You can turn to Matthew chapter one. Uh, back a few pages. And here's what's kind of, you put the timeline together. So Mary runs off to Elizabeth, stays there a couple months, and she comes back, right? And when she comes back, that's when it all breaks loose, right? So Matthew 1 says this, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When, Mary the, the, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found. They found it out. There's, there's no gender reveal parties. All right, we'll go out and we'll kick a sheep and when a sheep it's pink, it'll be a girl. And a she, you know. No, they already know it's a boy and they have his name. Okay, and so she comes back and she's probably showing and everyone thinks scandal, right? Little town, run red box in an IGA, everyone knows and what are they thinking? Joseph is guilty, that's why she went away. The talk of the town. And so Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he was unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. He had three options. One, he can marry her. Doesn't seem to be an option because he's like, if I marry her, then I admit my guilt. And I don't know who this girl is. She's been unfaithful. She is immoral. I'm not marrying her. That's one option. Another option is to kind of make this like the O.J. Simpson court case and it's super public and shame her and that way I get my reputation back. But he's a good guy and he cares for her and he opts for the third option was just to quietly write a certificate of divorce, let her go her way, because he cares for her. And that's what he's decided to do. And as he's considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear. There it is again. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? He will save their people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? Mary is not guilty. This is from God, Joseph. She is all the things you thought she was. She is still above reproach. And so Joseph wakes from his sleep, and, and simple and profound, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He obeys. He doesn't say, well, that was a weird dream. Must have been those sheep tacos I had. He doesn't go, what do my buddies think? What do my parents think? I need to go think about this. I need to get all the details. He immediately goes and gets his wife. Remember, she's living at her parents' house. He's at his parents' house. The betrothal period, he's getting his house ready. It's supposed to, at the end of that one year, they'll have a big celebration. He says, no, no, now. He walks over to Mrs. Mary and Mrs. Mrs. Mary's parents and says, where's my wife? And he takes her that day back to his home, right? And you know the talk of the town there. Which, by the way, 
They don't go back to Nazareth for a long time. They live in Bethlehem for a long time, then they live in Egypt for a couple years, then they go back after everything's kind of settled down. And even in Jesus's ministry, they're still accusing his mama of being immoral, and she never was. Never lived this down. But what I want you to see is the simple and profound response of Joseph. He just does what God says. Even though he doesn't get it either. And there's all sorts of chaos and confusion coming his way. You know another destroyer of joy in our lives? And very simple, is just disobedience. It destroys your joy. My dog Milton, you know Milton, most of you. He's a joy destroyer, but that's another story. So he loves it when my, my two youngest take him out on the leash because he is like, he knows how to escape them. <laughs> he laughs, he's thinking I'm off, All right? So they go out and sure enough, Milton got away, you know, every time because he knows how to escape because Milton has the belief that everyone else's yard and trees are better to go on than ours. So he thinks if I can just be free, then I can go out and I'll have joy. But see, what I know is all the trees, first of all, are the same. Second of all, I've, I want him to stay in our yard because we have a nice big yard. I want him to stay in our yard because I want to protect him because he's already run into one car. And I know that there's sweet old couples riding on their bikes all through our neighborhood. I know that he is a lawsuit waiting to happen because he thinks everyone's his friend. He'll jump up on this sweet 68-year-old lady. It'll be over. So I'm trying to protect him. I'm trying to protect everybody else. And I want him to come in and say, good job, good boy. I want to give him a treat to be refreshed. I'm for his joy. But he has bought the lie that every yard is better than our yard. And he knows when he runs off and he comes back that he is, he's been sinning because he comes in and he's all shameful and he knows he's going to the garage, right? You know that, You've had, if you have a dog, you know that look, right? But I'm for his joy. I'm for his, his I'm, I'm in his corner. But see, when you disobey, you may think that this is for my joy, but it actually is a joy stealer. Now, let's be honest. There is pleasure in sin for a season. Let's own that. Because we, do, we don't do anybody a favor with saying sin is just bad and it'll make you miserable. It will, but that misery may come down the road. There is joy in sin for a season. There's no doubt. There's pleasure in sin, but pleasure is not the same as joy. And eventually, sin is a destroyer of joy. It enslaves you which is why we had to have a savior, right? This is why Jesus came. This is what Jesus says in, in his kind of last, last discussion with the disciples before the cross. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice this last thing. These things I have spoken to you, that my, what? Joy may be in you. And not just in you, that, that your joy may be full. He links the abiding with joy, the following of what he says with joy. See, what you need to hear, because some of you don't believe this, is that God is actually for your joy. He is a proponent of joy. He is the source of joy. And some of you don't believe that. 
right? And if you don't believe that God is for your joy, if you think God is against you, that he is a killjoy, if you're not sure if, if you're always disappointing him or if he's gonna accept me, you're gonna have a hard time following. So you need to look at the words of Jesus here and say, Jesus is for your joy. There's nobody more for your joy than God. He's more for your joy than you are for your joy. That's how much your, for your joy is. And here's why that is difficult. Because I, and this is, I'm talking about me, and I'm assuming you're like me. I think that if I'm going to have joy, then I need to get what I want. And maybe I'm the only one in the room. I don't think I am. I think that Bill Fowler is the source of joy. And if I am gonna have joy, then I should be able to do whatever I want, and then I will be happy, and I'll have joy. But the scripture has many examples of how that, that's not true. In fact, the, the greatest example is probably Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, okay, I have a social experiment. I'm gonna give myself everything I want. And he's the only one that can afford to do it. So he said, I gave myself everything I wanted. I mean, I didn't spare no expense. I just, I just went after it all. And at the end of the chapter, he says, man, it was emptiness. I was broke. It was no joy there. This is why David, in his prayer on Psalm 51, after he had rebelled, after he had pursued an adulterous relationship and done all these things, what does he pray? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because the sin for, was, moment, was pleasurable for a moment, but then it brought a train wreck. He says, I want my joy back. This stole my joy. I need my joy. Right? Because disobedience leads not to joy. It leads to destruction. And this is the same lie that Satan's been telling us from the beginning, right? He tells Adam and Eve, what you really want is that fruit. And that's where joy really is. And God's trying to keep you from joy. It's the same lie Milton's buying the same lie we're buying. But God is for your joy. Not only is God for your joy, do you realize that scripture teaches that God actually rejoices in you? He is joyful over you. Because if you don't believe that God is joyful over you, why would you follow him? And probably the greatest example of this is in Luke 15, the parables that Jesus tells. Remember the Pharisees are all mad because Jesus is hanging out with sinful people and he tells three parables, one about a shepherd, one of his sheep runs off, so he leaves the 99, he goes, gets the one, and what does he do when he finds it? He throws it over his shoulder and he rejoices. And then there's a lady who loses one of her coins, she sweeps the house, finds the coin, she has a party, and they rejoice. And then there's the one we all know, the prodigal son who runs off, spends all his money, comes home a train wreck, and his dad throws a party and celebrates in joy, kills the fattened calf. And that, those, those parables are not about us, by the way. Those are all about God. How does God feel about us? He rejoices over one sinner who repents. And the, the end of that parable, here's where I wanna go with that. The end of that parable, remember there's an older brother? And the older brother is mad, right? Because his younger brother's getting a party. And what does he tell his daddy? He says, I've always obeyed you. And you never threw me a party. And I wanna go there because some of you think if you just obey, you'll have joy. And he is proof positive that it's, it's deeper than just obeying. See, if you, if, it's, if you feel like, well, if I gotta get joy, I gotta obey. So I'm gonna obey to get joy. If that's how you approach this deal, all you're gonna turn into is a great Pharisee, a great legalist. It, the application is not obey. 
Now that may be a sub-application, but that's not where Jesus is going. He's saying, if you abide in my love, right? If you, if you abide in me, what we're looking for is, is more than just obedience because anyone can obey. We want delight, right? Delight yourselves in the Lord. And then he gives you the desires of your heart. Psalm 16 says, you make known to me the path of life and your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. It's not in your obedience, it's pleasure of joy. In your presence, it's relational. At your right hand are pleasures anymore. So we don't fight disobedience. I know some of you think the application must be, if it's disobedience, must be obey. It is not obey. The way you fight for joy is delight. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Draw near to God. That's what we're looking for. See, and some of us as parents, we get this. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. So because I love my children, for Christmas, I wanna get my children what they want. And that then brings me joy when they get to open it up and say, look, because dad loved us, he got what he wanted, and, and it brings me joy. That's, that's the idea. We start with what? Love. We start with, because of my love, I do this, and then that brings me joy. See, some of you are thinking, oh, I gotta obey and have joy. Here's, this is what it looks like in the physical realm. See how silly it is. So you're gonna go buy a gift because after I buy a gift, then I'll love them. And then I'll have joy because after I've bought the gift and I love them, then I'll have joy. You've got it all wrong. It's not, I'm not buying the gift because I, to, to make me love you. I already do. And it's no longer a chore to follow because I'm delighting. We start with delight. Love the God, Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest and first commandment. We don't start with obey. Now, yes, obedience matters. I'm not saying it doesn't. But if you obey and don't love, who cares? Who cares? You're just as good as the Pharisees. You're this younger bro- elder brother who says, I've always obeyed and you never do it and I'm not gonna celebrate with you. I'm not gonna eat the fattened calf. I'm gonna go to the Wawa and get me a hoagie. You don't even know what Wawa is, do you? Unless you're in a Yankee, right? You especially don't know what a hoagie is. I don't know where that came from. That's my Yankee. (laughs) My point is this. I want us to be a church that delights in God. And then obedience will flow from that because you're delighting in God. That's where joy comes from. It's delighting in God. And some of you have been trying everything else and you've been trying everything else to find joy. You've been trying every relationship you can um, jump in from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship to the next friend group to the next relationship and none of them have worked. Maybe you should try the only relationship that will matter. The one with your savior. Some of you have been thinking, I'm gonna buy, you're going into crazy debt because you think, if I just get that, I'm happy. If I just get that, I'm happy. If I just get that, I'm happy. And you need to listen to the words of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added. You'll have a nice truck in the kingdom, okay? For right now, you can drive the old one. Some of you have been looking for acceptance from everybody else, whether it's social media and the way you act, the way you dress, the way you look, the way you're so worried about people liking you and accepting you, and instead you can rest in the Savior who delights in you. He already does. So try try delight instead of all these other things, maybe, as a source of joy. That's Mary. That's Joseph, right? Things that fight our joy, circumstances, we fight it with trust. Disobedience, we fight with delight. And there's one more, one more enemy of our joy. 
And it's throughout the narrative. You see it, and I don't have a lot of time, so I'll highlight it real quick. Last, one, last destroyer of joy is ego and pride. These destroy, and, and these are all related, I know. If you scan the entire Christmas narratives, there's not that many of them, actually. Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. There's only one Grinch. You know who that, remember who that is? There's only one Grinch who's trying to steal Christmas. It's Herod. Herod. What's Herod's problem? He's got ego. He's scared of losing what he's got. He's a king. He doesn't want, he heard a king's born. He wants to, what he's trying, he tries to kill the king. He tries to chase the king because he's all about himself and he wants to be king. Everybody else, every other major player has joy and there's, and there's a running theme with all of them. You know what it is? They're all just humble people. They're humble. Elizabeth, let's start, start with her. Remember, Elizabeth uh, is pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary comes in, she hears her voice. The baby leaps in her womb. Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit and she says, ah, blessed. She screams, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And, and look at this statement, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There's just a humility. I can't believe that the mother of God would come see me. Who am I? Right? John the Baptist, he is humble. He's, he's leaping around six months in the womb, triple Indy in the womb, baby leaps for joy, doing the only thing that he can at that point. But when he lives his life, how humble is he? I must decrease, he must increase. I'm not, un I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. There's a humility. Mary, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for he was mighty, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble. And we don't have time to look through the rest. The magi, they rejoice greatly when they see the star and they show up and what do they do? They bow down and they worship. These are important men who've come thousands of miles across the wilderness to spend a moment with a baby, probably about two years old at that point, to worship. There's humility. And you can go into Simeon, you can go into Anna, look at the shepherds. You don't get more lowly than shepherds and they come in and they leave singing joy to the world. Right, there's a humility. Here's how you fight ego. And you see it in every single one of these folks. It's just worship. It's worship. Elizabeth worships. Mary worships. Shepherds worship. Magi worship. Anna, Simeon worship. Angels worship. They all worship. Because there's something about worship that reminds you that you ain't God. And if it's, if, if it's about, if you're living your life just for you, if your life is just about you, I'm telling you, it's, it's an empty, you're gonna be, the most miserable people in the world are people who are just living their life for themselves. Selfish people. I mean, they may put on a great act and look at my car and look at my house and look at my Instagram, but they are miserable inside because you cannot worship yourself and be happy because you cannot carry the weight of worship. And it's, it's, it's just emptiness. I go to, uh, been going to Planet Fitness with my kids and I had these cool step machines. Have you seen these things? They're like real tall. So I like getting up real high because I don't get to be up high often. And so I got on this thing the other day thinking I can do this. 
and I'm stepping, and I just type in 15 minutes. It's like, what level do you want to be? I'm like, come on, this is a stepper. I put like level 15, right? Which is like rock star Ethiopian Kenyan uh, marathon runner speed. Let me just tell you, I needed like, you know, number three. But after 15 minutes, I am leaning on this thing because I'm too proud to lower the level because men don't lower the level. Once you set it 15 minutes of living hell, it doesn't matter. Just so you know. So if you're like, what? ladies would be like, oh, just lower the level. Yes, men don't do that. Just don't even bring that up. So I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm pouring sweat and I got through and at the end of the thing, I look up and it says, you, you know, 120 floors. I'm like, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm, I'm right where I started. I just feel a lot worse. <laughs> it, it's a lie. And, and this, some of you who are living for yourself and you're dying, you're on the stepmaster, you're sweating. In the end, you are in the same place you started. It's empty. And you're just gonna be miserable, hot and sweaty and stubborn like a man. And Jesus says, seek the kingdom. That's where joy is. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a pearl of great price. He sells everything. He sells everything he has to purchase that field and he does it joyfully. And just no, that's not a stepmeister. That's, that's a highway to joy. Some of you are just living, you're so mad about everything because you have ego. They hurt my feeling. They don't listen to me. They do this. And you're mad and you're turning bitter and you're just hurting yourself because they don't even know. They're down there at IHOP eating a tutti fruity, fresh and fruity and don't even care what you're thinking. And you're mad and you're just burning inside. And it's, it's all ego. It, it's it's going to steal your joy when you live for yourself, when it's all about you and your rep. And you, it's just a joy stealer. And the solution is to, to get outside, not looking at yourself, is to look at something greater. You're created in God's image to know God and to enjoy him forever. Right? To worship. And that's part of that is singing, but it's so much more than singing. Romans 12, 1, you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We looked at it in Colossians. Whatever you do, in word or deed, right? Delight in God in your work. Delight in God in your hobbies. Delight in God in your sports. Thank him for, for your Christmas gifts and for this time of year and your family and all these things. It's just acknowledging and, and living in those areas for him. That is your spiritual service of worship. There'll be joy when you show up at work saying, I just wanna honor God at my job. There'll be more joy than if you get a big race long-term. There'll be more joy if you just your friendships and your relationships, you're just like, man, I just wanna honor God in these. I just wanna reflect his love and I wanna reflect his joy. And I, there'll be more satisfaction in that than you being the most popular with a thousand likes, right? Because those things matter because you're doing them for the Lord. That's a joyful people. That's what we're called to be, right? Let me give you the definition one more time. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is the quiet confidence, ultimately everything's gonna be all right. And it's a determined choice to praise God in every situation. Don't let your life and the circumstances steal your joy. Trust in the goodness of God. Don't let uh, your ego get in the way. Worship and delight in God. And don't let disobedience steal your joy. 
Delight in the one who delights in you. Find his grace and his love in what Christ has done. That's what Emmanuel brings us. It brings us joy. We're gonna sing about it. So why don't you stand with me? And we'll remember and sing uh, to this God who brings us joy. Father, I thank you that you are for our joy, that you want us not just to be joyful, but full of it, full of joy. Just help that to be true. Um, it's not always easy because we do have life and circumstances and brokenness and we do have disobedience and we do have, uh, we get in our own way sometimes of our own joy, even though we think we're getting it. So I just pray that we would see and delight in you uh, right now as we just have a chance to remember that, to reflect on it. And if we've been running in a different direction, we've been running a different way, that this would be a time to, just like the, the prodigal son, to run back to the one who runs towards us um, and, and, and find rest in acceptance and joy in the forgiveness of God in Christ. It's in his name we pray.